to page 8 in your bulletin. You'll see our passage for this morning. It's really great to be together and see you all today. We are starting a new series this morning in the book of Acts in the New Testament. You can find that in your Bible if you have a Bible. Uh, If you find the four Gospels which start the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts comes right after those four Gospels. Uh, So Luke is the author of Acts. Uh, He wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote Acts, sort of two parts, uh, uh, two different volumes, both by him. Uh, We don't know a ton about Luke. Luke was a physician and he had a researcher's mind and a researcher's method in in how he prepared his content and presented it, uh, both in Luke and in Acts. Uh, In verse 1 of our passage, uh, Luke tells us that he's writing to this person named Theophilus. That's the second time that he is mentioned. Luke mentions him at the beginning of his gospel because he writes that to him also. And we don't know a lot about him. There are some different theories about who Theophilus was. He was most likely some kind of financial backer that provided the means for Luke to be able to like actually, you know, like he funded the scroll, as it were, for him to write uh, both his gospel and the book of Acts. We're calling this series Unhindered because that's the theme of the book of Acts. The very last verse of the book of Acts, this is Acts 28, 30 and 31, gives us the theme for how to understand the whole of Acts. Listen to what it says. It's talking about the Apostle Paul. It says that he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So the very last verse of Acts underscores the theme for the entirety of Acts. It's that the good news of Jesus goes forward with all boldness and without hindrance. Specifically, we're going to see how Jesus, uh, through His Holy Spirit, through the ministry of His apostles, gathers the early church that would eventually expand to all nations, of which we are a part of here at Resurrection this morning. And so this morning, our text gives us the foundation for that. And so we're calling it the foundation for church planting. Let me read our passage for us from your bulletin, Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when, he had come together, so when they had come together, he, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these sayings, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The word of the Lord. 
Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us through your word by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would do that just now. We can't understand unless you give us ears to hear. And so we beg you, good Father, for ears to hear. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, The TV show Ted Lasso has uh, been the subject of many conversations in the past year and a half. Uh, You may have seen the show, you may not have, but it's a story of a small-town Kansas college football coach who gets recruited to go uh, coach a Premier League soccer team in London. Uh, He knows nothing about soccer. He actually, you find out, this is sort of like maybe episode four, season one, spoiler alert, that he gets hired as a joke to try to tank the team. But the thing about Ted Lasso is he is so genuine and so kind and so not cynical, and he goes in this really like crass, cynical environment, and he just coaches these players as himself with his kindness and genuineness, that he actually ends up being an incredible coach. You'll have to decide for yourself whether uh, you want to watch or not. There's some, there's some salty language in it, but uh, Aaron and I have really loved it. Um, there was a Wall Street, the show, not the salty language. Uh, there was a Wall Street Journal article about uh, the show earlier this summer that said that NBA coaches are actually implementing some of the coaching strategy of Ted Lasso. This is from the article. It says, Utah uh, Jazz coach Quinn Snyder needed some help drawing up a tri- uh, needing some help dealing with a tricky situation at work not long ago. He took advice from one of his favorite television shows. I don't know if you watched Ted Lasso, he said, but sometimes your favorite animal is a goldfish because it has a memory of 10 seconds. That's where we need to be. There was something curious about one of the NBA's brightest minds borrowing a Ted Lasso pep talk. He could have leaned on decades of experience to get his basketball team past a stressful moment in the playoffs. He decided to invoke the folksy wisdom of a fictional American football coach managing an English soccer club. It turns out he's not the only person in a professional sport in professional sports channeling his inner Ted Lasso these days. It should be required watching for coaches, Snyder said. What is so appealing? about the way that Ted Lasso coaches his team. It's his ability to connect with his players and unlock the hidden potential and power that is inside of each of his players. Um, He has the ability to unlock this power that they have within themselves, and in so doing, it brings the best out of them, and it unlocks incredible things for the team. In our passage... Jesus puts incredible power inside his people and then promises to use them to do incredible things. And what Jesus does in this passage is foundational for his church. How does Jesus build the foundation for his church in this passage? Three headings under which I want to think about this today. Jesus prepares... Jesus empowers, and Jesus promises. He prepares, he empowers, and he promises. The first thing we see is that Jesus prepares. Okay, so Acts begins, you may have picked this up when we read it. It begins with Jesus after his resurrection, but before he ascends back into heaven to sit at God's right hand. 
Okay, so all throughout Luke's gospel, Luke talked about Jesus' earthly ministry from his birth all the way up to his death and resurrection. And in this introduction, in Acts, what we're looking at this morning, he's shifting his focus to say, all right, here's how Jesus prepared his disciples for ministry after his ascension back to the Father, this new phase of ministry. So how does Jesus prepare his disciples? He does so with physical proof. Physical proof. Look at verse 3 in our passage. It says, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. All right, imagine how encouraging and confirming it would be for you to physically see the resurrected Jesus after you thought he was dead and gone. Uh, Maybe you felt that way in your own faith before, where you thought, if I could just actually see Jesus and have him tell me that this is true, that would be like so helpful and strengthening to me personally. Uh, Luke records in his gospel the first time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection. It says that they were scared when they saw him because they thought he was a ghost. Because they didn't think it was really going to happen. They thought Jesus was a ghost. But he says to them, touch me, see me. And it says in Luke's gospel that they disbelieved for joy and were marveling at Jesus. They disbelieved for joy. It seemed too good to be true. And then do you know what Jesus says to them? He says, do you have anything to eat? He rose physically in his body, appeared to the disciples. Touch me. I'm real. See me. And by the way, do you have food? Because I'm hungry. I want to eat with you. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the resurrected Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time. He says, many of whom are still alive. And when Paul says that, He said, if you don't believe me, go ask those people who are still alive. All right, Jesus is preparing his disciples for this new phase of ministry by giving them physical proof that the resurrection really happened. And do you know what this means for us? This gives us an historical record that the physical resurrection of Jesus really happened. Jesus physically rose from the grave. He came alive again. And it's recorded as historical fact. What prepared the disciples to go out and preach this good news? What prepared them for the persecution and suffering that surely awaited them? Uh, What prepared them to leave the comforts of the life that they knew to follow this unknown person who was claiming to be God? It was the fact that the resurrection really happened. And if the resurrection is true, then all that Jesus said and did was true. Uh, We as a new church do what we do because the resurrection really happened. If it was not true, we would not be in this room this morning. So he prepares with physical proof. How else does he prepare them? He prepares them with teaching. What did he teach them about? Okay, so in addition to all of his earthly ministry that's recorded in Luke's gospel, it says in verse 3 that he taught them specifically about the kingdom of God. Now, commentators point out that there are two main topics that Jesus spoke about in between this time of his resurrection and ascension. Two main topics, the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about the Holy Spirit in a few moments and a lot next week. But what is the kingdom of God? In verse 6 
in our passage, Jesus gets a question from the disciples. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? All right, it's not totally clear what's going on when the disciples ask this question. Uh, You know, they had heard a lot of teaching from Jesus, which again is an incredible thing to think about. They'd heard him talk about the kingdom of God before. They now had heard the resurrected Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God for somewhere around 40 days. You would think that they'd have a pretty good grasp on what he was saying to them. But it seems like based on their question, they still don't understand the nature of the kingdom of God. It looks like they were expecting this immediate, earthly, political, military kingdom to happen right then and there. And if you notice in the text, instead of Jesus answering their question directly, Jesus tells them, look at verse 7. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So what was the kingdom of God that Jesus was teaching them about to prepare them for this next phase of ministry? Here's a great working definition. This comes from a study Bible. Kingdom of God is not an earthly political or military kingdom, but it's the present spiritually directed reign of God gradually transforming individual lives and entire cultures through the power of the Holy Spirit. Gradually transforming. So it's already here, but it's not yet fully here. It's already and it's not yet. And this was a category that he was giving to his disciples to prepare them for ministry. Do you see how that would be so helpful to frame for them where they're at in the story of what God was doing in the world? Jesus had come and lived and died and was resurrected. The kingdom of God is already here. And yet... It was not fully realized. There's still work to do. You just look at your own life. It is not fully realized, right? But we get to participate in this gradual, Holy Spirit-led ministry in which God will transform lives and entire cultures. So he prepared the disciples by giving them physical proof of the resurrection and by teaching them about the kingdom of God. Have you ever um, been so excited about something that you overprepared? Uh, maybe it's like getting ready for the first tailgate of the season. Uh, kids, maybe it's getting ready for the first day of school or a big vacation uh, or maybe a, a big party with lots of your friends. Uh, one of my daughters, who will remain nameless, uh, was so excited about going down to Naples, Florida to see her grandparents. Then instead of packing one bag, which would have fit all that she needed for the week, she packed four bags, two bags for herself, and then two bags for all of her American Girl dolls. Uh, We had to say, whoa, whoa, you're you're not going to need all this stuff. Uh, That's not all going to fit. She was so excited that she was just packing everything. She was overprepared. Can you imagine uh, the risen Jesus appearing to you in person And then firsthand telling you about what his kingdom is like and what it's going to be like. I mean, that's some serious prep for ministry. Uh, Jesus is so committed to his people and so committed to what he is doing in the world that he made sure his people were prepared to do the work that he was calling them to do. God has and will Give us all that we need in order to do what he calls us 
to do. This is true for us today. He's given us His Word. He's given us His Holy Spirit living inside of us. He's given us His church. The people of God surrounding us, supporting us, cheering us on. Uh, Think about your life right now. Uh, What is the big thing that lies in front of you that you simultaneously feel ill-equipped to do, but also feel like God might be calling you to do? What is that thing for you? Could be a big career change. Could be a hard conversation in your family or friendship. Could be leading a Bible study for the first time. Maybe it's this, being involved in a new church plant. You're not really sure where it's headed or what's going to happen. Might be starting a new grade at school. Maybe trying out for a new team. This passage is telling us that in Jesus, you have every resource you need in order to do what God is calling you to do. Jesus prepares his people for what he calls them to. How else do we see Jesus building this foundation? The second thing we see is that Jesus empowers. Jesus empowers. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Skip down to verse 8 in the passage. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. All right, what does Jesus empower us with? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not new to the scene in Acts chapter 1. We said in our confession of faith this morning that the Holy Spirit is co-eternal with the Father and Son. The triune God is eternal. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, no beginning, no end. All three, eternal. But Jesus is saying here that the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, would fall on them and all believers, all believers after them in a new and more powerful way. That there is something new and distinct that is happening here. And it's going to happen at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is not new, but God's people will experience Him in a new and more powerful way. Uh, The word for power that's used multiple times referring to the Holy Spirit in Acts is dynamis. What does that word sound like? Dynamite. Power. He's saying you'll receive power from the Holy Spirit in a way that you have not yet experienced my power living and dwelling within you. It's actually the same power that raised Jesus From the dead, the very Spirit of God Himself living, dwelling, working inside of you. Jesus empowers His people with the Holy Spirit. All right, what does He empower them for? Empowered for what? Look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria unto the end of the earth. All right, so what does the Holy Spirit empower us to do? To bear witness about the good news of Jesus. This is a key verse for the entire book of Acts. Highlight it, star it. It's actually going to be our memory verse for this series. 
It shows us how the gospel is going to go forth with all boldness and without hindrance. It's going to be through God's people doing what? Bearing witness about Jesus. And it also tells us geographically how this is going to work. Concentric circles working outwards even to the ends of the earth. What does it mean to bear witness about something? It, it means to point to something else. To attest to something that is true. To highlight it. Uh, to draw attention to its reality. And so this is telling us that, that the church will be gathered together and will grow as God's people point to the good news of Jesus and attest to it with their lives. And that's what Jesus was telling his disciples here. He was saying, go and draw people's attention to the reality of my good news. So he empowers his disciples with his Holy Spirit to go and bear witness about himself. Uh, one of my favorite things about being a pastor is getting to officiate weddings. Uh, it was so fun to stand up there with Matthew and Kate last night and officiate their wedding service. Um, I'll never forget the first wedding I did as a pastor. I think this was maybe nine or ten years ago now. Uh, it was for this young couple at our local church in, in another state, uh, both of whom had like lots of friends and family in this city. They were kind of a big deal. Their families, you know, lots of lineage there locally. Um, here's the thing about this wedding. I was not supposed to officiate it. Uh, so th uh, the senior pastor of our local church was supposed to officiate it. I was just supposed to attend. Uh, but the day before the wedding, the morning of the rehearsal, which was that evening, the pastor called me and said, I can't make it. I've got a fever, chills. I can barely stand up right now. I need you to do this wedding. You kind of know this couple. Will you take it? And I'm thinking, all right, it's like kind of this prominent wedding. There's going to be lots of guests there. I've literally never done this before. How am I going to prepare today to like tell them what to do tonight at this rehearsal and then officiate the wedding tomorrow? As I'm thinking through all this, he says, all right, don't worry about trying to prepare. I'm going to give you all of my notes, even the homily I was going to share with them. Just follow the script and you'll be fine. And suddenly I went from being terrified about the unknown of performing this wedding ceremony to feeling totally empowered to go confidently follow his notes and his homily and lead them through this ceremony. Because that other pastor, he gave me exactly what I needed in order to feel empowered to do the thing he was asking me to do. Not only has Jesus prepared you for what he's calling you to do, but he's actually given you the power to do it. He's given you himself, the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of you, and now he calls you to go bear witness about what? About him. Uh, you don't have to make up the content. You're not the center focus of this. He's empowering you to go out and to point to him and to his work. And he's given you exactly what you need in order to do the very thing he's asking you to do. Uh, we as a new church, we cannot make anything happen on our own. We are simply vessels for the Holy Spirit and we're standing around pointing others to what Jesus has done and is doing. That's all that we do. We point to Jesus and the Spirit does the work. That's how he gathers. That's how he grows his church. Jesus prepares. 
Jesus empowers. And third, Jesus promises. Look at verses 9 through 11 at the end of the passage. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. All right, this is describing what is called the ascension of Jesus. And it's telling us that just as Jesus rose from the grave in his physical body, that he also ascended into heaven in his physical body. Kids, a question I get a lot is, where is Jesus now? What's he like now? Uh, Jesus is sitting next to his father in his physical body. That same body that he came and took on flesh in his earthly life and ministry. It's the same body that he was resurrected with. It's the same body he ascended with. It's the same body he has right now in this very moment. And that's the same physical body with which he will return when he comes back again. Um, his disciples get to see this happen. Now, we, we can't fully understand what that was like. It says he was taken up in a cloud. We don't fully know what, know what that looks like. But it says there were these two men dressed in white standing there next to them. These men would have been angels. And these angels tell the disciples this promise that Jesus had already promised to them. But they restated it, and it's a promise that will continue throughout the rest of the New Testament. What is the promise? Verse 11, that Jesus will come in the same way that you see him go into heaven. They're staying there staring, watching him leave. The angels say, hey, he's going to come back just like you're seeing him leave now. They're restating the promise that Jesus would return again. Revelation 21 describes what this will be like. That Jesus will return and usher in what's called a new heaven and a new earth. And it says that in this new heaven and new earth, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. He says, behold, I'm making all things new. We went all the way to the end of the story for that. But Jesus is promising that this mission that he prepared and empowered his people to be a part of. He's saying that. He's the one who's going to bring it to completion. That's his promise. That this already not yet nature of the kingdom, that tension that we live in right now, that one day it will be fully and finally realized. That instead of tasting uh, pieces of it like we do now in this life, that we will experience the full glory of it. Instead of our joy now being mixed with utter sadness and tears and brokenness and suffering in our lives and the lives of others and that we see in the world around us, uh, there will be a day coming when it will be only joy forever. No more tears. I had a very short-lived uh, career as a high school football player. I played for about a year and a half. Um, one summer, I guess the, my one summer that I played, we went uh, to a football camp at a really small college in southern Missouri for a few days. It was early August, so it was so hot, so humid. We were like practicing like, I don't know, two or three times a day. 
The practices were really difficult. The facilities at this college were not nice. It smelled bad. We didn't help it smell any better by being there. Um, But it was really a tough few days. But I knew that coming up after this week at football camp was my family's week-long vacation in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. And um, my friend, Joe, knew that I was taking this vacation. And in the midst of one of... Uh, the, the really difficult points of this football camp when, I mean, we were just exhausted and just wanting to be done. Joe came up to me and he said, Jonathan, just think about it. This time next week, you're going to be in Colorado on vacation. And immediately I thought about this promise of what was coming the week ahead of being in the Rocky Mountains. No humidity, cool air, no practice. You know, no subpar lodging, right? It was vacation in the mountains coming up. And suddenly that future promise, it changed the way I thought about the hardship that I was in in that moment. It gave me motivation and strength to push through those practices and to push through those next few days at camp. Uh, Do you see how foundational this future promise of the new heaven and the new earth is for the hardship that we experience today and for the work of the church today. Uh, We have a new heaven and a new earth that awaits us, one in which we will not struggle anymore, one in which we will not be sad, we will not be disappointed, nor will we disappoint. We will not get sick, we will not die, our loved ones will not die, we won't be depressed, we won't be anxious. We won't get sideways with each other. We won't be lonely. We will be with Jesus and his people without sin or struggle forever. And this kingdom mission will be complete. Do you see how that is foundational for us to hold on to, to give us actual hope for what we're doing today? For the real hardship and suffering and brokenness in our lives. That it it gives us strength to bear them today, knowing that there's a day coming when that will no longer be the case. Jesus prepares, He empowers, and He promises. And this is really good news for us as a new church. Uh, He's laid the foundation for us. He's prepared us. He's empowered us. And He promises that the work that He started, He will continue to do through us. And one day He will bring it to completion. It's not up to us to make it happen and to bring it to completion. Jesus will do that. That's the only reason why I can be a pastor. Because that promise is true. Maybe all this is brand new news to you today. Um, If this sounds new to you, Maybe you're new to church or maybe you've been around church your whole life in and out. and You've heard stuff like this, but maybe it's clicking in a new way. I hope what you see us doing as a church is not drawing attention to ourselves, but bearing witness to someone else. Bearing witness to the good news of Jesus. Pointing to someone who is at work in us. Making messy people into new people transforming us and transforming entire cultures. And know that this same Jesus, who is laying this foundation for His people here, 
offers himself to you this morning. That he is the very foundation. And what he offers to you is for you to step off the performance treadmill of trying to prove yourself okay to others and to God. Because he proved himself worthy on our behalf. He was perfectly righteous for us. He never sinned in thought, word, or deed. He never, never fell short in the ways that we fall short. At the end of his life, he went to the cross to die, to pay the penalty that you and I deserve for all the ways in which we fall short. Then he was resurrected and he ascended back to his father. And now he offers himself to you so that when you put your faith in Jesus, you're united to him. And the Father sees you as fully forgiven, fully loved, and fully righteous. That is what is on offer to you this morning once you reach out and receive him. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the good news.